Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. If you'll open to the book of Colossians, we're going to be in the first chapter of Colossians this morning. Well, living things grow. It's really easy for me to remember this in springtime because my weeds outgrow my grass and my neighbor's grass and the side of my house. Not, not exactly that high, but they're pretty, they're pretty bad. And it's really easy for me to see it then that living things grow and be really annoyed at it and bemoan this growth. But if I really stop to think about it, it's simply amazing that living things grow. Acorns, tiny little acorns, really turn into oak trees. That's simply remarkable. Acorns turn into oak trees. We miss out on it so often because we're not looking for it, but it really does grow. Well, more sure than this growth is the truth that the gospel grows. The gospel grows. God promises that the kingdom will grow, that the gospel will grow, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But what does that mean? How does that happen? And can it really grow? If we look at the culture, the the decline of morality, and the increasing secularization of the world, and the hostility towards the things of Christ, as Bob was just praying about, Can it really grow? And not just out there, but can it really grow in me? I face sin and pressure, challenges, and I'm just not sure that I can grow. And besides that, growing the gospel out there and in me, that sounds really painful and hard. So maybe it's just better to keep things status quo. Well, the gospel grows, and so this morning we want to look at Colossians chapter 1 to discover what gospel growth looks like and how we can be intentional in trusting God to provide this kind of growth in us and through us. So before we read our text in Colossians, I want to give you a little bit of background on the book. Colossians is written by Paul to the church in the city of Colossae, a city that by all known accounts Paul never visited. The church was founded there by Epaphras, a man who likely came to faith in Christ under Paul's ministry in Ephesus and then took the gospel back to Colossae and planted a church there. And Paul's writing this letter at the request of Epaphras to handle some false teaching that has arisen within the church. So this morning we're going to read just Paul's introductory thanksgiving and prayer to learn about the growth of the gospel in Colossae and then how that can give us insight into how the gospel can grow through us and in us. So if you have Colossians 1 opened up, will you stand please for the reading of God's word? I'm going to start in verse 3 and read through verse 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is in, as indeed is in the whole world is grow, bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, would you now speak to us through your word? Would you bless this time that we would all be transformed by the power of your Spirit to be more and more like your Son, Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, right from the beginning, Paul wants to encourage these believers in the midst of false teaching to hold on to Jesus and him alone. He starts by thanking God for gospel growth and then praying for it. So if we're to look this morning at the gospel growth that God desires for us and that Paul describes here, we need to start with a more basic question. What is the gospel? Well, it is the word of the truth about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul says this for us in verses 5 and 6. He says, You have heard before in the word of the truth the gospel. So the gospel is the word of the truth. And then in 6, he follows that by saying, Since the day you heard it, it being the gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel is a message of truth about true events and a message of grace. And as Pastor Bob defined grace for us a few weeks ago, it is God's unmerited favor given to those who deserve his wrath. Well, Paul explains this a little bit more in verses 13 and 14 of our text this morning. When he says, he has delivered us, he being God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is unmerited favor to those who deserve God's wrath. Paul is saying here that if you are a Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus alone, that you have been transferred from the domain of darkness, the domain that you lived under in your rebellion against God, and transferred into the gracious rule of King Jesus through the forgiveness of sins. Paul goes on in chapter 2, verse, or, sorry, not in chapter 2, in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1, and says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's under the domain of darkness, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
this transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son is no mere bookkeeping move where your debts are just moved from one column to another. No, it was accomplished by the excruciating death of the son of God for your sins. It's a costly transfer. So that's the gospel. The gospel is the word of the truth about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Paul says that this gospel is now bearing fruit and increasing. It's growing around the world and among you in Colossae. He mentions this both in verse 6 and in verse 10, referring to the two ways that I want to look at this morning in which the gospel grows. The gospel grows in depth in the lives of Christians, and the gospel grows in breadth, growing out from them throughout the whole world resulting in more and more people worshiping Jesus. In other words, the gospel grows in us, and the gospel grows through us. So first, the gospel grows in us. Well, Paul starts this letter by explaining to them what he's thankful for as he's heard about the church in Colossae from Epaphras. And then he prays for them for these things that he's heard to be true, to be increasing. He's thankful because when the gospel came to them, by God's grace, something happened. They believed. God granted them faith in Christ Jesus, love for all the saints, and a hope laid up for them in heaven. We see these in verses 4 and 5. Faith in verse 4, a sure faith in Jesus, love for God's people, and a secure hope of future glory when Christ himself will be with you and your faith made sight. Faith, hope, and love. A great summary of the Christian life. Paul is thankful that these things are true in the church. And then he prays that that would be true in an increasing way. Starting in verse 9, he begins to pray for them through 14, that they would be filled with a knowledge of God's will, that they would be given spiritual wisdom, and that they would be strengthened with endurance and patience, with joy. He does so, all of this, so that in verse 10, he says, so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here we see this phrase, bearing fruit and increasing, clearly referring to the life of of the individual believer and the gospel growing deeper in them in the church here at Colossae. What Paul is describing for them is the process of growing in holiness to be more and more like Jesus. Jesus, who was filled with all the knowledge of God's will. And submitted to it. Jesus, who bore fruit in every good work and loved his own to the point of death on a cross, and who endured with much patience and joy that death on a cross so that we would be redeemed. You see, Paul is praying here for more and more of the truth of the gospel to take hold in their lives, for the Spirit of God to work deep in them, 
that they would live as though they've really been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So all of this leads us to ask the question, is the gospel growing in you? Are you growing in your faith in Jesus, your love for God's people, and your hope of fellowship with God for all eternity? And is that resulting in you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, and bearing real fruit, the real fruit of holiness in your life? If not, the gospel is not growing in you, I must warn you, as Paul does, that the gospel really does grow. It really grows. And if it's not growing in you, then you must ask yourself, has the gospel ever really been planted deep in you? Have you really repented of your sin and given up on trying to fix yourself? And are you trusting in Jesus and him alone to save you? Have you abandoned any attempt to make yourself better and looked to Christ Jesus alone for hope? Because if so, it really will produce in you faith in him, love for all the saints, and an increasing hope for heaven and the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. If you've never done this, if you've never trusted in Jesus and him alone, I urge you this morning to do so. Because it's the only hope that we have in this broken world. And it is glorious and it gives life. Now, this gospel growth that I'm talking about is not perfection. The church in Colossae was like every other church that uh, Paul wrote letters to and planted. A group of broken sinners, redeemed by grace, with a perfect Savior and a glorious message of hope and grace. So not perfection, but the Bible is very clear, and Paul here in our text is clear, that the gospel will bear the real fruit of holiness in our lives. So how do we see the gospel increase and bear fruit? How can we actually see that happen in our life? How do we see the gospel grow in us? Well, in chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul says that growth comes from the head. That is Jesus. And that's the key. Abide in Jesus. Jesus says this himself in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the key to any gospel growth in us, abiding in Jesus. And that's the whole point of the gospel anyway, that we would be brought near to Jesus and brought into fellowship with the God of the universe. So if you really want to see this gospel growth deep in you, abide in Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, this verse in John 15 comes right in the middle of this section between John 14 and John 17, where Jesus talks a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit who will dwell in you. That's the only way this can happen. And boy, I wish we could camp out here for a few hours, but Christian, 
This is simply amazing. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The power, knowledge, faith, hope, and love that we're seeking as the gospel grows in us is only possible because he, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us, uniting us to Christ. And the Holy Spirit always works in and through his word. So if you want to abide in Jesus, dwell richly in the word of Christ, and Christ will abide in you. Devour God's word and give yourself fully to him on the pages of scripture, and the gospel will grow mightily in you. And do this in community. Remember, all of these prayers and this thanksgiving is done for you, meaning you all, the church in Colossae. So do this with other brothers and sisters, not just by yourself. These prayers are for the whole church. So let us let the gospel grow in us by abiding in Jesus. And if the gospel is going to grow in us in this way, it is sure to grow through us as it bears fruit and increases in all the world. This language of bearing fruit and increasing is reminiscent of a lot of Old Testament language, going all the way back to Genesis 1, when God created Adam and Eve and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this language of being fruitful and multiply is repeated throughout the Old Testament, with the idea being that God wants to fill the world with his glory, increasing the number of image bearers that image God's glory, reflect God's glory to the world. Well, ever since the fall of man, this effect of multiplying image bearers has been dimmed. Each one of us is born into this world like a broken mirror. We dimly reflect God's glory, but not fully. We're not able to really fulfill this command apart from the redeeming love of God. So when the gospel commission comes, and we are told to make disciples of all nations, it is so that as we are restored to relationship with God, given his spirit within us and transformed more and more into the image of his son Jesus, that we would reflect his glory and increase that throughout the whole world. And as we have seen in this passage this morning, and if you look at the book of Acts or look at church history, that's exactly what has happened. The gospel has grown. It started small, like really small. Have you ever thought about this? When the Son of God finished his earthly ministry and the New Testament church was born, the book of Acts says there were 120 people. That's it, 120 people. So we must never think that the growth of the gospel in one person's ministry must be thousands for it to be effective. Otherwise, we would nullify the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Don't let small starts or little impact hold you back. I think sometimes this holds us back. We think, well, I'm not Billy Graham, so I'll just let gospel growth up to those folks because I'm not like that. You know, somebody led Billy Graham to Christ and no one knows their name, right? Unless, does anybody know their name? <laughs> right? This is often the point, or this is often what happens throughout church history is that God uses the obscure folks 
to lead to Christ those who would lead thousands to Christ. So anyone can be involved in this. And it started with a ragtag bunch of fishermen. In commenting on this, Stephen Charnack says, Had it been published by a voice from heaven that twelve poor men taken out of boats and creeks without any help of learning should conquer the world to the cross, it might have been thought an illusion against all the reason of men. Yet we know it was undertaken and accomplished by them. They published this doctrine, this doctrine being the gospel, in Jerusalem and quickly spread it over the greatest part of the world. Folly outwitted wisdom and weakness overpowered strength. The conquest of the East by Alexander the Great was not so admirable as the enterprise of these poor men. It's simply amazing. And we now stand in that legacy of the gospel growing throughout the world. And the expectation is that the gospel grows today just as it did with the disciples and just as it did with Epaphras and the church at Colossae. Even in light of all of the changing cultural pressures, the growing hostility towards Christianity in our nation and the increased secularization of the world and its declining morality, we stand in the confidence that the gospel grows. Why? Because that's always how it's been. And the gospel has not changed, and Jesus has not yet returned, so we can fully expect, pray for, and walk forward in confidence that his work is not done. Today is still a day of salvation, and the gospel will continue to grow as long as it is faithfully proclaimed, bearing fruit and increasing. So how is the gospel bearing fruit and increasing? Well, how did it do it then? Through guys like Epaphras taking the gospel to their communities. Through evangelism, proclaiming or speaking the gospel. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> Through discipleship, that's helping others experience gospel growth in them. And through church planting, which will house and expand this gospel growth. Now, Epaphras likely took the gospel back to his community and gave it generously. And a church was born out of that gospel fruit of evangelism and discipleship. So that's what we want to be a part of. The gospel growing through us, through evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. First, evangelism. That's proclaiming, speaking, talking about this glorious gospel that we've been talking about here this morning. Now, the truth is that your life and your lifestyle should display to the world that Jesus is Lord, that you're hoping in something different than they are. The way you raise your kids, the way you love the unlovable, the way you spend your time, your money, your energy, the way you live with your spouse or your roommates, your families, the way you conduct yourself sexually, all of these things should display the gospel. They should display the reality that there's something that God has done in you. But that's not enough. Repeatedly throughout the scriptures, the gospel, the message of salvation is just that, a message to be heralded, proclaimed, 
heard, and believed. And not just by preachers, by ordinary folks taking the gospel to ordinary folks in the midst of their lives, their spheres of influence, their workplaces, their neighborhoods, everywhere. In the book of Acts, the church in Antioch, which is one of the most powerful New Testament churches, the church that sends Paul out on all of his missionary and church planting journeys, this church, Paul says, or Luke says in the book of Acts, was started by some men who preached the gospel. Some unnamed men started this incredible, incredibly powerful New Testament church. We don't even know their names. Oh, that we would long to be known that way. Just some people who left an incredible legacy of what God has done through them. That God's most important and that he has worked mightily. So this morning, is your faith alive? Is the gospel growing in you? Well, just as it was appropriate to ask, is it continuing to grow in you? It's appropriate for us to ask, is it growing through you? Now, there are real barriers to evangelism. Real barriers. Fear is a big one. I'm afraid almost every time I share the gospel. And it's been my full-time job for a while and will continue to be my full-time job. Unless now that you know I'm afraid, you're going to kick me out because I'm afraid to share the gospel all the time. Or afraid when I share the gospel, not afraid to share the gospel. I say that to, know, to, to let you know that I understand that it's hard at times. It's really hard and it's scary. I totally get that. But that's a barrier that so often is more related to me, my sinfulness, and my lack of perspective than it is to the act of evangelism itself. There are real barriers, but none of them are really legitimate barriers. None of them are good reasons to not engage in evangelism. There's certainly no scriptural evidence to point to to say, don't do evangelism, don't talk about Jesus and the gospel. And I know it looks different in everyone's life. I know that we're all given different gifts, and so evangelism will look different for each of us. But that gives none of us a pass on evangelism. The question is not whether or not I'll be involved in evangelism, but the question is, how will I be involved individually as the gospel grows through me? How would God use me to do this? So this week, in your quiet time with the Lord, in your time in the scriptures and in prayer, ask God, how will you use me to grow the gospel through me? What people have you already given me relationship with who don't know Christ? What places and spheres of influence do I have by your grace? And Holy Spirit, would you give me the opportunity and then follow that up with the words to say when you give that opportunity to share the gospel? That's a prayer that the Lord loves to answer. When I consistently pray that in my life, I consistently get opportunities that never would have come up had I not prayed for them. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And God loves to answer that prayer. Well, this evangelism is followed up by discipleship, by teaching people who believe in Jesus all that Jesus has commanded, 
so that the gospel would bear fruit in every good work and the knowledge of God would increase, just as Paul said in verse 10. Helping others to have the gospel grow deep in them, as we've already been talking about. And this can play out in a number of ways. It can be very formal one-on-one meetings, and it can be very informal meetings. It can be very informal life-on-life discipleship through small groups, through our life groups here at, at New Life, through friendships that you have within the church, and then also, most importantly, as you share the gospel and God blesses that and people come to faith, following that up with discipleship so that the gospel would not just go in someone but grow in them and that they would then learn how to take the gospel and grow it through them to others because they have all new spheres of influence. So they need to be discipled and developed and trained and grown by God's grace. And you can be a part of that by imparting what God has done in you to others. Well, if we put these two things together, evangelism and discipleship, and the gospel grows like this, we need to plant more churches. If those things are happening, we'll need to plant more churches. And that's what we're looking to do with church planting. Because we believe that the gospel is always growing, we believe that we can can and will endlessly plant churches that plant churches that plant churches until Jesus returns. Because he's clearly not done yet, or he would have come. So till he does, we will move forward in the confidence that he has work yet to be done and will bring the lost to faith in himself as the gospel is boldly proclaimed. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Bob mentioned before his sermon that we are leaning towards a church plant in downtown Muncie. Why? Why Muncie? Well, there's lots of reasons for that, but part of that is really simple for me. We want to plant lots of churches, and we want to do it well. So let's learn how to do it together in a place that's close by. Let's learn how to plant churches together. So that's one reason, but there, there are lots, of more, lots more reasons. There's lots of needs in Muncie, needs particularly that a downtown church plant could be a part of meeting. Delaware County is the highest in the state and potentially in the country in meth lab bus. It's remarkable. Highest in the state. There are, there are historic race relation issues in Muncie that still exist today. There are poverty issues in Muncie. And all of these need to be met with the good news of the gospel. But the most compelling reason for me, there's a lot of people in Muncie who don't know Jesus. And they need to hear the good news. Only 27% of the over 70,000 people in Muncie have any affiliation with a religious congregation. And that 27%, it's like a shockingly low number, right? The state average is like 50%. That 27% includes some that are affiliated with the Mormon church, the Universalist church, and some churches who may deny the gospel that we've been talking about this morning, and other churches who may not deny it, but certainly aren't boldly proclaiming it to our community. So how will the gospel grow among the lost of Muncie, which is a lot of people, unless we plant more churches? 
So some of you may be thinking, really, is there room for another gospel-centered Reformed church in Muncie? Well, if our hope is to just transfer and shuffle Christians around, then no, absolutely not. There's, there's not a need for that. But if our hope is gospel growth among the lost so that those who don't know Jesus would come to faith in the God of the universe through the proclamation of the gospel in this community, then yes, yes, yes. We could plant 30 churches of 200 like that and still have need. Just as Epaphras had a heart for his city and the lost in it, we want to have a heart for our city and the lost in it and bring all those parts of the city that need Jesus together under the banner of the gospel for the glory of God. And our confidence that God will do this is absolutely not in me. I hope none of you have that confidence because if that's the case, God help us but it's in the gospel and its power to grow. In Acts chapter 5, when the apostles are arrested for preaching the gospel, one of the Pharisees, Gamil, stands up and says, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Simply incredible. This gospel growth that we're talking about through church planting is not our idea. It's God's idea. And it will not be stopped. We move forward in this confidence. Well, if we're to say with Paul that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing here in Yorktown, in Muncie, and throughout the world, we need to hold both of these overarching truths together. The gospel growing in us and the gospel growing through us because they're related. We cannot ignore the one for the sake of the other. If we ignore the gospel growing through us and just focus on it growing in us, we misunderstand the gospel because it's in its very nature to multiply and to grow out through us. And if we focus on it growing out through us without caring about it growing in us, we will short-circuit that growth out because we will not be increasing in our dependence upon God through the Holy Spirit and our love for Jesus and his church. We need both. Well, this is an impossible task for us to grow and for the planting of churches. It's impossible. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need to be all in it together. I'm going to close with this story that I heard from a speaker at a, a crew conference I was at this past year. And it's reported that while visiting NASA during their quest to put a man on the moon, President John F. Kennedy was walking around talking to folks and encountered a janitor. He's just walking around talking to people. And encountered this janitor and said, what do you do here? And he looked at the president and he said, Mr. President, I'm putting a man on the moon. The president had issued an impossible task, putting a man on the moon, which they did, by the way, with a computer less powerful than the one that you, most of you carry around in your pocket. That's remarkable. They did it because everyone was in on it together, even the janitor. 
Well, we've been given a much more impossible task. Planting churches among the lost and dead, those who do not want Jesus at all, planting churches among them so that they would worship and honor Jesus so that all people groups would worship Jesus is impossible. But we do it with much, much greater power than this thing. We do it with the power of the gospel, animated by the Spirit of God to bring dead hearts to life. And God will grow it and save sinners by his grace. And it doesn't matter if we're the planter, the sending congregation, or a member of the core team, because as 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So men and women, friends, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's hear the call of the kingdom together and put a man on the moon and see the accomplishment of the great commission so that all nations would sing praises to our God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are growing the gospel, that you are at work in our lives and through us in our community and around the world. Would you continue to grow the gospel here in this place throughout all the world so that the glory of Jesus would grow, would increase, that we would see more and more of his beauty and that his name would be praised among all peoples. We pray this in his name. Amen.